Play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Hey. You do look kind of sick. I mean, you're really. What? What? I don't know. Nothing I'm too tired happy. to come <laughs> up with like a witty comeback That's to right. that. <laughs> Welcome back to Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. Well, Stanley Fritz is here looking good looking as usual with a scraggly beard. You definitely are looking as usual. I will agree. <laughs> that is, you are a hater. You know what, Jackie? Have a blessed day. Have a blessed day. <gasps> How dare you? <laughs> we are back, guys. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. I am Stanley Fritz. I am also here with Jackie Cohen and of course Selena is hard at work in Barbados really working guys. hard heavy quotes I feel so bad for Selena right what's now what's Alyssa doing this weekend what what's Alyssa doing this weekend I think Alyssa's at a wedding Alyssa's at a wedding so Alyssa's at open bar right now yeah right yeah <laughs> so we have those two wonderful people who are out this weekend but we have two amazing guests yes. in the studio one you will meet shortly one who is here and his shirt looks like a colorful checkerboard yes and this is <laughs> no, evan gray i'll let him introduce himself but you should know that he and i went to suny old westbury together and he won mr old westbury and he defeated me which means he cheated <laughs> so <laughs> you trifling yeah, I'm, oh, oh, oh i'm trying of course we also have aaron but i want to get to aaron just a little bit later guys so now Jackie, i'm excited about this tell the people who you are I'm Jackie. You know me. Jackie, you know. Jackie. Where can we find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jackie Cohen. J-A-Q-I-C-O-H-E-N. Don't f- tweet at me your tra- oh, yeah. train Oh, Jackie problem. works at the MTA. So if <laughs> no, I don't. Problem, no, I do not. Talk to her. I'm a transit advocate. Yes, I do not work she at the advocates MTA. To make sure Although Stanley really. likes to enter into public spaces with me and announce to the <laughs> entire crowd, whether it's a crowded elevator <laughs> or a restaurant during lunch, that I work at the MTA and that people should launch their MTA <laughs> complaints Jeez. at me, which is really kind. So Thank I'm must follow you now yeah, so I can tweet you yeah, when yeah, I'm yeah. on the train join delayed. The, join the club of people that do it. It's really it's really fun. You know? <laughs> Especially when I'm definitely never one of those people that are also stuck on the mm-hmm. train. You know, just receiving people's angry tweets. It's oh, great. please. I can't. I don't even want to discuss MTA right now. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. It's been up, especially in Harlem. But I think we have a really great show. Then we're going to, you know, we're going to talk first. Stan, you want to discuss what we're going to... I will absolutely do that. I was over here trying to sneak and put the Facebook Live on. So we have a great show today. The first topic we're going to talk about is a Breakfast Club interview with Charlemagne and Lil Duval. And Lil Duval said some problematic things about trans women and made some very problematic jokes. And we have our very special guest in here, Aaron, to help us with that conversation. And then it's the news roundup where we'll talk about things like how my barber went to Dominican Republic so I can't get a haircut for two weeks. And, of course, how Jackie is still a loser. And then finally, we'll be talking about affirmative action and not how we can get more of it. But how the Trump administration is going after affirmative action and suing colleges that they feel are letting black kids in and at the expense of white kids. Yes, that's a real thing. And Jack will be leading us through that segment. And then finally, we have the quickie slash rant where I will tell you all about the Republican Party's problematic immigration plan in which you have to speak English to come into the country. And also you have to have specific degrees. And if you do not, then you can't come in here. And obviously, the Statue of Liberty does not represent American values, as said by Stephen Miller, the 31 year old. I can't say that because I'll get suspended. Allegedly. Alleged human beings. Yes. So, what topic are you guys the most excited to talk about? I mean, I'm definitely excited to talk about affirmative action um, because I'll be leading that conversation. And I was reading a lot about it um, leading up to our show today and just sort of what the Trump administration plans to do. And it is so whack. So I'm really frustrated and I'm happy to be able to like have this conversation here today. What about you all? 
I, I'm definitely excited to talk about The Breakfast Club. Yeah. Because I'm a huge fan of that show and that platform. So um, I'm going to be a little bit critical about them. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm definitely excited to talk about that. Um, yeah, I'm also really excited to talk about The Breakfast Club and the boycott um, that we've launched against them. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Me too. What about you, Stan? Well, I'm looking forward to talking about me and how handsome I am. Right. And um, right. Marilyn As is usual. listening to the show, and she's aggressively rolling her eyes. I, sh- I'm sure her <laughs> eyes just like rolled back like 360 in her Ma- head. <laughs> Marilyn's <laughs> a hater. That's what it is. She doesn't support no, me. No, Marilyn guys. keeps it real and keeps you in check, and we are all grateful to her for that. So, you know, it's going to be great. So anyway, so yeah, I think we're going to take a quick break. We're not going to take a break, Jackie. No? All right, guys. We're gonna I take need a, a break quick, from you. We're going to take a quick <laughs> break, guys. And when we come back, we'll be talking to Aaron. This is Meek Mill, Wins and Losses. He's had a lot of losses, <laughs> but this song is lit. <laughs> And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Jackie Cohen and, of course, our good friend Evan Gray. And we have a very special guest who is also in the studio, and I'm going to explain to you why she is here. So now, unless you have been living under a rock, you probably have heard about The Breakfast Club, the morning show that airs on Power 105 Monday through Friday. And every day they have a special guest and they have interesting conversations. Well... They had Lil Duval, a comedian who's known to be funny on Twitter and also had a nice run on Def Comedy Jam when that show was airing. They asked him a simple question. They said, if you slept with a woman and a couple of months later you found out that she was actually a trans, she was a trans woman, a woman who had transitioned into a woman, how would you feel? And he said, honestly, I'd probably have to kill her. They started laughing. And they said, well, you know, that's not cool. You can't just say that you're going to kill people. He's like, no, I'm sorry. I got to kill her. She got to go. He got, she got to die. Well, pardon me. Actually, he was not, wasn't even respecting her agency. He kept saying, he got to go. He got to die because that makes me gay now. Everyone in the studio was laughing. Lil Duval kept saying this. Well, obviously, because most people with common sense or even a bit of a heart, they got upset. And now a new boycott for the Breakfast Club show has started. And it's called Boycott the Breakfast Club. Why are they boycotting the Breakfast Club? Because for too long, there has been talk of violence against women. And with that anger flowing and people feeling so frustrated about that process, they are now boycotting and speaking out and saying, don't support the Breakfast Club show. I had a chance to listen to the interview very briefly, hear some of the things that Lil Duvall said, along with saying that he would kill a trans person if he found out that, you know, that's what that was. He also kept calling, he also kept misgendering Janet Mock. So Charlemagne and Angela Yee said, and Janet Mock is a beautiful woman. He kept going, oh, that dude is straight. He looks cool. They kept saying, well, you know, you shouldn't call her a him because it is a woman and she wants to be addressed as a woman. Lil Duvall said, whatever, I'm not down with that. He cool. Char- wow. Charlemagne, DJ Envy, and Angela Yee, they were in the studio. They, they laughed. They, they had a good time. Had a little bit too much fun, but people felt a lot of different ways about this, which is why we are here in the studio today. Because in our own communities, in our own friend spaces, in our own places that we have conversations, there was a lot of anger, confusion, and even some prejudice against transgender people. So what we have done today is brought in a transgender woman of color to come and talk to you guys, A, about that Breakfast Club interview, B, about her own personal story, and C, helping me 
you and even Jackie and Evan too be educated on the movement, what is going on, how we can be better people, and how simple it is to not just be an ashy elbow trash person. It's not that hard, guys. And who's going to help us with that? Well, I'll tell you all about her. Her name is Aaron Lang, and she's an act artist and an activist from Columbus, Ohio, currently living in Brooklyn. Brooklyn, New York. What up? She's a co-founder of Black Trans Lives Matter board, excuse me, and a board member of the Marsha P. Institute and a co-creator of Trans Liberation Tuesday, a national day of action. Her dedication is to the lived experience, resilience, strength, and brilliance of black trans women. Her hope is to experience freedom in this world before she transitions out of it. Damn, that was a hard line. That was a hard line. Bars right there. All right. So... <laughs> First of all, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. Of course. Thank you for having me. No problem. How are you feeling? You excited? You angry? You frustrated? You want to flip a table? Um, I'm intrigued. I'm interested at the moment. Excited would be an overstatement. Excited would be an overstatement. <laughs> yes. All right. So I want you guys to know that Aaron had already seen the Moonlight video. So when I tried to put her on, she was like, well, beloved. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, nah, that's not. No. <laughs> we got to support Jay-Z at all costs. I'm in formation over here for Jigga Man. Mm -hmm. No, but Aaron, um, right before you walked in, we were uh -huh. talking about what happened on The Breakfast Club. Okay. Specifically, before we get to like the, the big problematic piece, I guess okay. they're all problematic. Specifically, I mentioned when Charlemagne brought up um, Janet Mock to Lil Duvall. Lil Duvall consistently misgendered her. Yeah. And then he, he refused to acknowledge that Janet Mock was beautiful. Janet Mock is bad, like period. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. yeah. like we, Goes we can without saying. Yeah. 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 But, you know, before we jump to the big piece, what did you think about that interview Having like having seen it and having heard some of the things that happened there, um, what did I think about that interview? Um, well, for starters, Lil Duval isn't funny, and I think <laughs> I agree. I think you know, mm -hmm. the biggest takeaway for me was how willing people have been to laugh at someone who just simply is not funny. I find Charlemagne to be insufferable also. Um, they remind me of high school boys in the back of a classroom that you can't get to shut up, um, that are always clowning or laughing at things that no one else is laughing at to the extent that they are. Um, it just wasn't funny. Like, I can't even... The misgendering, it's boring. It's the easiest mm -hmm. thing you could do against a trans person is to dead name them or to misgender them so it was easy boring just not funny humor evan jackie what did you guys think i mean it just speaks to their like lack of talent which right. i think is really interesting and something we see in comedy a lot mm -hmm. and people are always i think we're like living in this world today where people say oh you know you can't say anything anymore like you can't be exactly. offensive because everybody's going to be offended by what you say and it's like no just be funny like be, be actually funny, funny. Right. exactly like it's not funny <laughs> to like just make like a cheap shot at mm -hmm. like a person for, based on nothing right based oh, on nothing. your own like insecurities and that's and, what it that's what it reads as to me as well. Like, I mean, you're really just highlighting what you're insecure about. You're highlighting what you actually don't have capacity for. Yeah. I mean, it's embarrassing yeah, to me. Yeah, totally. I agree. What about you, Evan? Um, for me, I, I think it, it actually started with the original question, which uh, Charlemagne or one of the other hosts had asked um, Little Duval um, how he felt about the new guy that's in the White House. I won't say his name. Mm. Um, the Cheeto. Yeah, 45. Yeah. Uh, the, <laughs> right. <laughs> the original question was um, how he felt about the new guy's personal um, proposal last week on uh, banning transgender to serve in the military. Mm -hmm. So that's where the conversation actually started. Mm -hmm. And for me, I thought that it should have kind of stayed there. 
and his response was just basically um, he didn't really care. He didn't have anything to really say about it. So to me, as being a host and you're, and you're trying to like steer the conversation, I felt like the host on of The Breakfast Club should have um, definitely not allowed the conversation to take that left right, turn. Right. It should have never went to where it went. Mm-hmm. Well, they were driving the car. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And that's why, to me, I fault them just as much as I fault uh, Little Duvo. And even though I'm a Same. big fan of The Breakfast Club, I listen to them. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Charlemagne. I've, I've, I've read his latest book, mm-hmm. Black wow. Privilege, and i seen a different side of him that I didn't necessarily don't get on The Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. But this right here, this is this is not good. Yeah. I don't support it. this. It, it definitely isn't, guys. And, like, we've kind of been talking about one incident that happened. But the reason we're having this show is because what we have seen, particularly in spaces that are supposed to be safe spaces for trans right. women of color mm-hmm. and trans people of color, is that, like, in black and Latino communities and hip-hop culture and mainstream culture, there seems to be a lot of aggression, confusion, and prejudice against trans people. Mm-hmm. And so today is really our opportunity to talk about this. So now... Aaron, I want to bring it to you and kind of okay. like start expanding on this conversation. Okay. We know what Lil Duval said. We know how Charlamagne behaved. Yeah. We know there's a lot of people who who also agree with that level of ignorance. Thousands. So, first off, for the, like basic for people who don't know, let's start with the very basics. Uh-huh. Okay. So, first of all, like I guess I'm trying to find a way to phrase this question. So, how mm-hmm. do like so? People are saying that like you just people just wake up one day and just choose to put on a dress or put on some sneakers and pardon me for the euphemisms, uh-huh. but like. How do, like, tell us about, about like, I guess the, um, the, the, oh, darn, I'm really struggling just, with this Just question, make guys. it plain. Just say it how you want to. All right, great. So, thank you. So, how do. Could I? Yeah. Because I think I know what you're trying to say. Like, how do you, like, break away some of the stereotypes that people have about mm-hmm. just identity as a whole and, mm-hmm. like, gender identity and, mm-hmm. like, talk about just what it means to have your own identity and be you. Um, I think I think a great way is to quit allowing people to focus outward and mm-hmm. to focus inward. Mm-hmm. I think all of us experience ourselves in a particular way. I think all of us have identities. And regardless of if you put on a shirt or a dress one day and say that you're a different gender or not, that actually doesn't affect your life personally. But what does your identity, sh- how does your identity show up in your life? How does it affect the world and how do other people receive it? How do other people receive it, I think, is a better place for people to focus individually to get an understanding of what it means to really just be a person. I think what people don't really understand is at the root of these dialogues is our humanity. We're actually talking about if trans people deserve to be human. And that actually isn't what we should be focusing on. We are human. We have lives. We have identities just like everyone else. So it's really important for people to interrogate their own identities, not just ours, because I have a gender identity just like everybody in this room, just like everyone in this world. And just because we haven't isolated your identities and started talking about them in the same ways that we've done ours doesn't mean that they're not as important to us as they are. So it's really important for you to be able to look and say, 
I'm a man. My manhood looks like this for this reasons and for this reason and this is what this means in the world. I think if people quit looking outward at things that they actually couldn't understand. If you're not a trans person, there's no amount of conversation that I'm going to be able to offer that will make you understand that experience because it simply is not yours. Well, share some of your experience with us. How did you come mm-hmm. into your own identity and what was that like? I mean, I honestly I really shy away from sharing my story because again I think it serves as a means to humanize us to people who we should already be humanized Mm. to Um, so my story is my individual story just like everyone else has their own individual story it's not any more impactful it's not any more um, I don't know full of struggle than anyone else's it doesn't really actually offer anything to the conversation I often feel like people are looking for that story that they're going to say ah Now I get it. If you don't get it, that becomes a choice after you've been engaged in the work, after you've been engaged in the dialogues, you're actually choosing to not understand. So it really doesn't matter what my story has looked like. Yeah, it's like willful ignorance. Exactly. Like you're choosing not to accept some another human being's humanity. Exactly. Right. But that scares me, guys. Yeah. Because I, and, and it scares you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, man, yeah. That, that troubles me. You know, uh-huh. it troubles me. But the, you, the thing about it is a lot of people, like you said, like you either you want kind of like either you want to know, you don't want to know. Mm-hmm. What happens to those people that don't want to know? There are a lot of them who don't mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. The little Duvals of the world. We yes. still have to live with those people. And like talking about fear, mm-hmm. like how does, how do you reconcile the fact that like there are just people who are not just problematic, but literally a danger to mm-hmm. you and your, your, your black body and your space? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, while this has happened, we just lost another black trans woman um, by the name of T.T. Dangerfield in Atlanta. So this year, 16 trans women have been murdered, um, likely at the hands of someone they know, likely at the hands of actually a cisgender black man. And for people who aren't aware what cisgender means, it just means that you are not a trans person. The gender you were assigned is the gender the gender you identify with. Um, so as far as reconciling the violence or reconciling (laughs) reconciling um, people who actually are making a choice and not choosing to be educated, not choosing to shift around the issue. I mean, this is, I guess, how we reconcile it by not standing for it anymore. You know, our demands at the Marsha P. Johnson Institute have been an on-air apology to Janet Mock, which has not been met. Um, We asked for the Breakfast Club, um, not the Breakfast Club, but WWPR-FM and parent company iHeartMedia to fire Charlemagne um, for his continued just basicness um, and also his continued (laughs) misogyny and transphobia. Um, And we also asked for Power 105-FM to pour into the work that is centering black trans women in our lives so the way we interrupt it or the way we reconcile it is really by pouring resources into the black trans women community and allowing us to show up in the ways that we would like to to interrupt the violence that we face because just expounding upon transness doesn't work (laughs) i love the idea of just firing people for their continued basicness i think there are so many (laughs) mediocre people that would lose their i am aggressively mediocre let's not get too kind away guys all right right Starting with Stanley, fire people for their <laughs> continued, you know, com- 
explicit basicness. Hate is gonna hate. So you know, guys, we I want to get Evan back in this conversation, but before yes. we do, we do have a call on the line, a very special one at that. And if you want to call in with a question or a comment, or you're not calling in but you're on Facebook Live, you can leave a comment. But you got a phone? 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. On the line right now, we have our very own Alyssa Fuchs. Hey. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Good morning. Um, anyways, you know, I, I, I just caught a little bit of um, a previous comment that I wanted to say something about. Um, well, first off, we should fire people for being mediocre white people. Um, but that's, that's another show. Um, but regarding the, the humanity aspect of this issue, to me, I think that's a, a great point. I also think it goes deeper than that because there becomes this issue of who passes and who doesn't. And a lot of times how we treat people and whether we treat people with humanity is based on whether or not they pass. And I think that's a huge problem because there are obviously class issues that come into play in terms of this issue of passing. And so to me, it's very important that we put it out there that if somebody is trans, regardless of what their outward appearance are, you need to identify them as how they identify and that it's not okay to say, oh, well, I'll call Candace Kane a woman or I'll call Janet Mock a woman or I'll call, um, you know, anybody that passes a woman or, a, you know, if it's a man, a trans man, um, a man. But if you don't pass, then I have the right to now demean your humanity by, you know, pointing out that you're a trans due to the fact that you don't pass. And that to me is, is usually problematic and something that we need to continue to address. So. Thank you very much, Alyssa. I'm going to just speak to this really quick, and then we're going to take a break and then readdress it. Um, but I think that's a really interesting point, Alyssa, and something that we've talked about a lot um, in previous shows. And I think it's something that even Janet Mock herself talks about. I read her book, um, her autobiography, and at the like the first page of it, she talks about privilege that comes with passing and how her own unique experience is different than many other um, trans women of color's experience. And, you know, she addresses that herself, and I'm sure would be the first person to have love to have a conversation about passing and the role that plays we gotta talk about it guys so we're going on a quick break and when we come back more on passing and also how we're taking in this movement the transgender movement and getting Charlemagne fired hey guys oh, awkward. <laughs> we are back on let your voice be heard i was not rapping to trap queen this is stanley fritz i'm in the studio with jackie cohen evan gray and of course aaron lang Alyssa fuchs and ja oh, jackie jackie's right here Alyssa fuchs and selena hill are not here although Alyssa fuchs is kind of here yeah Alyssa <laughs> on the hotline bling selena hill <laughs> is working heavy quotes in barbados with rihanna yeah she's work <laughs> work 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 working yeah right yeah and if, if you were just tuning in guys we are having a conversation about the Breakfast Club's transphobic comments from their guest Lil Duvall, and we have Aaron Lang from the Marsha P. Institute. Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Pardon me, Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Yes. yes. <laughs> and hold on, Evan, I felt some shade here. I'm just saying, <laughs> get it right. <laughs> Get it right. Get it right. Get it Stop right. being mediocre. You know what happens. It's important. Exactly. I have a male privilege to be mediocre. Okay. <laughs> He's not wrong. Yep, yep. That's right. No, guys, but right before we went to break, we Alyssa brought a great point about passing, and I want to give Aaron a chance to respond to that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as far as the passing conversation goes, it's still a conversation around humanity. Um, conditional humanity is still not humanity. We're really arguing still who is allowed to be looked at as a person 
who is allowed to be looked at as a woman. And this goes beyond just transness. This is in general with womanhood and femininity. Some women are not allowed to stand in their womanhood or in their truth because they don't adhere or they aren't perceived as women like people would like them to be perceived. So when we talk about I don't trust a trans woman who doesn't pass. It's really, you have an attitude around transness that we are not who we say we are in general. But I will tolerate someone who looks the part. That still means that we aren't human. We're not being looked at as human beings in people's eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Equal. Evan, did you have a... No, I was um, sharing with um, everyone here while we were on break that I have to say that I'm learning so much about the trans community, even though being a part of the LGBTQ community, you know, people automatically think that, oh, because you're gay, you must know all about the transgender community. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily true. So I feel like I'm being enlightened here. And I have to say to everybody that Erin is a beautiful (laughs) trans woman sitting here right next to me. (laughs) She is gorgeous. (laughs) It's true. She's like, it's uh all true. Mm-hmm. But I'm just I'm learning. I'm and, and I think that we need to also discuss um tolerance. Yeah. Which I think is a major factor in this conversation. Mm-hmm. I feel like just because you may not agree or maybe even understand um this topic or, mm-hmm. you know, the LGBTQ community, I feel like you can always still get your point across respectfully. Mm-hmm. And I think that that what was extremely missing mm-hmm. um from that interview on the breakfast club. Yeah. I think oh, uh, even to just add to that, I think not just tolerance but respect mm-hmm. and respect is so important to me because oftentimes there are things that I don't have anything nice to say um about or to and I just don't speak and I think that is sometimes where we get lost you actually don't have to comment Mm. on everything and you know the breakfast club kind of pushed Lil Duval to speak but Lil Duval is a grown man Mm -hmm. and you actually could have said I don't want to talk about this because this is not something that relates to my life or my work. So it's about not only tolerating people, it's about why are you talking about things that you have absolutely nothing productive to offer and you hate the people you're talking about. It, yeah. it, it costs nothing to be silent. It costs nothing to add nothing to a conversation. I agree. And especially to u- utilize a platform that's as large as The Breakfast Club Huge. is mm-hmm. um, to, uh, I guess you could say, like spew hate. Yeah. Or to and ignorance, something ignorance, that you know yes. nothing about, and it's one of the most listened to morning talk shows, probably the most listened right. to in New York City. That says so much. It's very about disheartening, New York City. Yeah, if you don't know about it, don't talk about it. Jackie doesn't know how to make Hennessy out of scratch like I do, so she can't talk. About <laughs> oh, we need to talk about that later. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Listen, queen, listen, queen, I got you. So, guys, we do have a caller on the line, and if you want to call in with a question or a comment, the number is two one two six five zero six nine zero three. Again, that is two one two six five zero six nine we have John from Long Island. John, let your voice be heard. Hey, what's up, guys? How are you? We're doing good. Great show, by the way. Thank very you. Pro- very proud of you, Stanley. I've known you for a long time. Um, I don't have a question. I have a comment. Um, my comment is a lot of times people's perception um, is, is warped. And I, too, years ago, was worried about what the public thought of me or what individual people thought of me as a human being. It's not on the same scale as trans or, or, or uh, LGBT or anything like that, but I was very worried about the perception that I was 
bringing forth. And uh, someone gave me some great advice, and I'd like to share it. And that advice was, if someone has a problem with you, your lifestyle, or the way you do things, it's not my problem. It's their problem. It's their energy. It's their issues. And they need to face them on their own. And I need to be who I am and do what I have to do to make myself better as a person. So with that being said, you know, what people say or what people do, it's their own energy. It's their own negativity. It's their own karma that's going to come back to them. So I live my life for me and to do what I have to do. John, thank you so much for those comments. Make sure you keep that same energy when I roll up in Long Island, beloved. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, oh. Do you want to respond to that, Aaron? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. We all, you know, what we put out into the world is something that ultimately we will have to deal with and answer for whenever um, we do. But, you know, I guess the, the side note or the caveat with that is, you know, for trans women, it actually does become our problem. Mm. <laughs> Again, with naming that 16 trans women of color have been murdered just this year, it's only August, um, the hate and the incorrect views or the intolerance or the shame or whatever um, actually has a real impact on our lives. Um, and the impact is usually murder. Um, the impact is transgender bans. The impact is um, employment disparities, housing disparities. So these things actually do become our problems in a very real way. So it takes an active approach um, from us and other people alike to interrupt some of the energies that are being spewed. Let me, let me actually, let's stick on the violence part right there because Lil Duvall, mm-hmm. one of the things, he, he made a joke about killing a woman if he found out that that woman was trans after they mm-hmm. had sex. I don't sex. think he was joking. <laughs> I think Lil Duvall couldn't bust a grape. <laughs> If he found out it was a trans woman, so he was just being, you know, he was exaggerating. Mm. But like people, like a lot of people, at least on my timeline, have been making this comment of, "Oh, what's the big deal of making a joke like that or a comment like that?" Yeah, can you talk about like why that's so problematic? I think in 2017, anytime people are laughing at a black person being murdered, it should mm. be a full stop immediately. We should all interrogate why we're so comfortable with certain violence against certain bodies because I think it would be a very different conversation if, you know, um, petite blonde white supremacist Tommy Lauren was on <sighs> The Breakfast Hello, Club um, <laughs> talking about killing a black man mm-hmm. for any no for anything mm-hmm. so i think anytime a black person's life is being threatened or we're making um jest of black death it's something that we all need to be like this is not okay um, and this won't be tolerated um not now or not ever so I don't know. It's, it's just, just not. Whack. It's not funny. Like to it's, get back to what right, you were saying at right. the top of the show. Like it's not <laughs> even funny. Like not why? Funny. Why? You know, you're not doing a good job at and your job. It's <laughs> happening. I yeah. think it's really, it's really interesting to make a joke of something that is actively happening. And trans women are being murdered. Um, black women are being murdered, and they're being murdered by their intimate partners. So to bring that up as if this is some type of fantasy world we're mm. discussing, and that this isn't actually a real issue is just as a journalist or as someone who has a platform it's completely just irresponsible um, Mm -hmm. to the work that you're actually doing with providing people a voice you know Janet Mock was on the show three days before little Duval came on and talked about killing a trans woman three days before someone came on and misgendered her 
three days before Charlemagne came on to say that maybe jail time would suffice for a man not knowing that he was sleeping with a trans mm-hmm. woman ahead of time. Jail time? Jail time. Yeah. So it's just like, they did say that. Mm-hmm. what do we actually believe in as black people? Um, and do we believe when we're being shot down in the streets that we've earned it in some way, shape, or form? Because to me, if we're willing to believe that a trans woman who didn't disclose, um, which is a rarity, um, <laughs> just to say, uh, a trans woman that didn't disclose for whatever reasons, probably due to being afraid of the violence, like should be killed, um, what do we actually believe in for black people in this country? Like, do we believe that we deserve death for missteps or even withholding of anything? That's a, that's a really good question for all of us to ask ourselves. So, guys, we do have a call on the line. This is Haji. Haji, let your voice be heard. Okay. Uh, first of all, I don't condone, condone the killing of any human being. Uh, I think that in the human condition for our survival, that humanity must come first, okay? No matter what the issues are, what you call yourself, you're still a human being, and that should be considered above, above all. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Haji. Mm-hmm. So that was Haji. So I want to kind of push the conversation towards where I think you were kind of getting at. Mm-hmm. So you said, like, it's very, like, rare that a trans person does not, like, you know, yeah. let people know before, like, become intimate. So mm-hmm. one of the new debates happening on my timeline is there's this article that's... <laughs> Your timeline is Your lit. timeline is... <laughs> 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 my, you know I mean? my timeline is different. It is, okay. Oh, man. Well, I posted a picture. I changed my cover photo, and it turned into, like, a 40-page argument. Well, Stanley posts, like, on his own page he'll be like what's the most controversial question i can ask <laughs> and then he posts it and then he's like why is everyone fighting on my mm-hmm. facebook right now? Like, i don't know stan that's so, a great sometimes question. stirring the pot oh. stirring the Hennessy pot <laughs> <guy>. uh-huh. <laughs> sometimes i just like post pictures of puppies and i come back There's you a never do that is you know such what? a lie but you, anyway you are judgmental Jackie, liar okay? no but <laughs> the new the new article floating around the timeline is this article where a trans person says trans people do not have to let you know they're trans before they have sex with you, yeah. which is ticking off all the ashy elbow people, mm-hmm. all the woke people, everyone on my timeline is there's like huge debates about this. And mm-hmm. honestly, I don't know the answer. I don't know mm-hmm. what the hell to think. Yeah. So I want you know, obviously it's not your job to like tell me or anyone how to think or like yeah. what to do, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. Um. I think one thing is also important. I you know just relegating these conversations to just ashy elbow folks. It's actually not just them. Um. This is going across all different areas, you know, people that are educated, people that are in this movement outside of it, people that are indeed ashy elbowed or not. Um, everybody has some idea about this and people are sharing their opinions. Um, as far as who holds the burden of disclosure around transness, I would say no, trans people actually do not have to um, let you know that they are trans. Do we most of the time? I would say yes. Um, in my personal experience, yes, I do. Um, it still doesn't stop people from engaging with me, um, but it's something that for my own comfort, I would like to share ahead of time. But I think too often we allow because this is also a conversation that is centering cis men. Um, Too often we allow the laziness of men to be put on other people. So if you are interested in a woman and you know you're not interested in trans women, how hard is it for you to ask if you are a trans woman or if this person is a trans woman before you engage? Hold on, Aaron. I might get you slapped, though. (laughs) From who? From the woman. 
But that, or I mean, us telling might get us killed. Yeah, so right. what is the <laughs> right? <laughs> what is the way? Point but, taken. But why? I think even you saying that, why yeah. would that get you slapped? I think we need to interrogate even that. Yeah. What is what is wrong with me asking you if you're a trans woman? Because around this conversation is is we apparently can't tell. Yeah. Just by looking at trans people that they're trans. So I'm asking you because I know what I'm not interested in engaging in, but I don't know if you are trans or not. So it's just about, for me, shifting the burden. Like, if you care so much, why aren't you willing to ask ahead of time? Why aren't you willing to see before instead of having sex with a woman, instead of actively pursuing a woman and then being mad that there's something about her that you didn't know? You didn't ask. How often do you get upset with people for not telling you things that you never asked them? Exactly. Uh, I I think that's a great point. And I think it speaks to a larger um, discussion, too, about like what, you choose to disclose to a partner exactly. in general, right? And, and when. Th- and when, yeah. and, you know, like, no one's t- a- telling me, like, you need to disclose that you're a cis and exactly. a woman, exactly. right? And, like, so why would you require one group of people to do that and not another? But I think, in general, it's important to disclose information to a partner, especially if you're going to become intimate with mm-hmm. them, that you feel comfortable with. Exactly. And it just, you know, like, if we were all, I think, more open with each other mm-hmm. and in our within our own relationships, I think we would, be a lot more <laughs> like, I think well functioning. Not sorry to interrupt. No, please. But I think you know, <laughs> I would say a lot of men have sexually assaulted a woman in their life. Um, I would say probably as many as we could think of, and then doubled have sexually assaulted women in their lives. And I think of how often do they disclose that, and how yeah, often do we think great, that they should disclose that? I don't think wow. that's ever a conversation that happens. That's real. When I think we that's know a great point. on college campuses that men are raping people, raping women by who knows how many numbers, we never think about, do you then grow up and tell everybody that you date that you're actually a rapist or that you are a sexual predator? We never think of these conversations. And we end up pitting trans women as if we are sexual predators, as if we're these sirens that go out into nightclubs and lure cis hetero men into our beds um, and then take their innocence (laughs) because we don't actually tell them that we're trans women. And it's kind of like, what did you engage with? How dare you hypnotize me with beautiful looks? Exactly. Um, But not even vagina. That's the thing. Trans women come with all different types of bodies. And we often have these conversations as as if trans women that do not have vaginas aren't being actively pursued by cis men. The conversation seeks to center trans women as men. And that is really what the the basis for all of this is because what does Janet Mock need to tell you at the end of the day? Nothing. Yeah. Is that going to shift who she is, who you're looking at, who stands before you? No, but it's this idea that Janet Mock actually is a caricature of a thing and not the thing herself. So it's at our maleness, our perceived maleness, just based off of our assignment is something we're supposed to carry with us throughout our whole lives, like some badge of shame, when it's actually just not the truth. And a lot of the times, some of us don't even become men, quote unquote, in like formal terms in this society because of how early our gender transitions begin. So it's really, to me, just about turning the question and the burden on its head. And it's like, you can't say, I accept transness, but you need to tell, because what do I need to tell you yeah it's true sorry i was very valid i know i know (laughs) so we we do we have a couple of comments on facebook live shadley says 
that trans women don't have to tell you ish. And mm. a couple I other like Sam. She's, <laughs> yeah, she's lit. She's lit. And we have a couple of people I want to shout out. Just Naledi, thanks for tuning in. Michael, of course, Alyssa and Enrico, thank you for tuning in. But um, I want to give you guys a chance to ask any questions before we wrap this conversation up. Jackie. Yeah. Oh, yes, please. Well, so something that we talked about on air last week, and um, I think we touched on a bit, but I think is really important um, to this discussion is that you know, while people don't have to tell you what they don't want to tell you, they mm-hmm. don't need to disclose to you what they don't want to mm-hmm. think about the questions that you're asking people and what you're seeking to find out. Are you just trying to like scratch a curious itch or are you mm-hmm. trying to actually get to know the person that you're talking to? Because exactly. you, it's okay to have conversations. I mean, what's so great about the show is that we bring in all different voices mm-hmm. and we have a conversation and we open it up to the public so that people can learn and think and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's questions that really seek to understand the individual human being that you're speaking to. And mm-hmm. then there are questions that seek to really objectify that person and categorize them into a certain box. And so I think in asking questions of people that may be different from you, whether they be a person of color or trans or queer or mm-hmm. what, however they identify, Think about the kinds of questions that you're asking them. Are they the kinds of questions that you would like to be asked? Are they mm. so personal to a stranger that, you know, you would be offended if they were asked to you? Um, and, you know, seek humanity in, in, you know, seeking out information about a different person. Thank you. Evan, you have any questions or comments before? Yes. I okay. would definitely like to know how do we move forward? Mm-hmm. Now, you mm-hmm. spoke earlier about pouring in resources mm-hmm. into the black trans community. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I guess I'm I'm trying to because at, like I said earlier I'm sitting here and I'm learning so much mm-hmm. about the transgender community that I didn't know prior. Mm-hmm. So how do we move forward and how do we really um educate as many people as possible so mm-hmm. everyone can really have a understanding about what it is to be transgendered mm-hmm. and how important it is to um to have that respect and equality. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, for me personally, the education piece is I've, I've, I'm not interested in that moving forward. Mm-hmm. I think we are moving forward and we have been moving forward. And it, now it is time for cis black people um, specifically to decide if they're going to get on the bus or not. You know, I've gotten on the bus many times and I had to ask people how to get to where I was going because I wasn't sure. And that's kind of where I want black cis people to be right now. Are you willing to get on the bus that is already in motion mm-hmm. um, and figure out where you're headed while you're on the bus? Um, I think it takes a yielding. Um, uh, I actually don't have much to offer this conversation. Let me just listen. Um, It takes respect. And of course, it takes in, you know, the reallocation of resources, um, you know, donating to the work that's happening at the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. You know, we have a You Caring link up right now. If anybody wants to Google that um, and drop, you know, a five, that would be great. You know, just pouring into the work that's already happening. I think we've given cis folks the opportunity time and time again to try to lead this conversation. And what has been proven time and time again is that you actually cannot lead the conversation. And I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just you all don't know what y'all are talking about and y'all don't know why y'all are talking about what y'all are Mm -hmm. talking about so your role is actually in creating platforms for us to speak and to supporting the work that we do um i also want to 
piggyback on what you were saying, Jackie, you know, I had a reporter literally at a vigil that was put on for a slain trans woman in Ohio last year. I had a reporter ask me, um, when did I start my transition? And I asked her, I was, I said, I don't think that's relevant. I was like, that's like me asking, when did you start your period? And she got it. When I said that, she backed, oh my God, yeah, like it's that personal. Mm -hmm. So I actually don't need to share that information with just anybody who wants to know. Mm. Um, This is something personal. A lot of the times you all are asking very specific medical history about us because that's really what it is. When you ask somebody when did they transition, when did they start this or that, this is medical history and how often do you feel comfortable asking people about their medical history. And finally, um, (laughs) two black cis men um, who I think this conversation really is geared toward this boycott is really about, you know, black male violence within the black community. And I think we've steered away from intra-community violence for so long because it's been used to deter the conversations around anti-blackness and for black people to, like, succeed in society. And they've been mostly put on by white people. What about black-on-black crime? Um, The thing is, intra-community violence is real. Um, Black men are effectively terrorist within the black community um, because of the cocktail of patriarchy and oppression. They We love them, we want them, but they're actively destroying us and our people, our babies, um, trans women, cis women alike. Black men have to have conversations with each other um, and not with trans women, cis women, babies, white people, black cisgender men have to be willing to talk to each other about how anti-blackness has manifested in their lives, um, how the shame they have around their sexualities and what they do and who they do it with literally turns into death for people like me um, and Janet Mock and um, cis black women and black children. Um, It's really time for black people to stop this, stop perpetuating the conversation by allowing a black man to say he would kill someone for withholding information from him and start interrogating how this type of violence has been able to like be upheld in our community. Um, And to cis black women like Angela Yee on The Breakfast Club, Angela had an opportunity to interrupt that conversation in a real way. Um, Every single one of them did, not just Angela. But because it was Angela who invited Janet onto her show Mm. because she was putting her book on her book club, there was a special way that Angela could have stopped that conversation and turned it around to say, how are you such a coward that you would kill someone that you're attracted to because of information that doesn't shift your attraction whatsoever? She could have done a full stop, a, a hard pause, but Angela is laughing just like the rest of them. Cis black women, it takes more than just saying that we don't owe people things. It takes more than talking about how beautiful we are. It takes, when we're not in the room, are you willing to stop a conversation that is glorifying or making jest of our deaths and ultimately yours? Because if a man will kill me for not knowing I'm trans, he'll kill you for a host of other reasons too. And that is something that we all need to be looking deeper at and actually saying this is unacceptable and we deserve better than trash, lazy humor like the breakfast club mm. wow come Aaron. on now thank, thank you, you so Aaron, much come that. on now i don't think anything else needs to be said I, this uh, was that was perfect yes. from the marsha p johnson 
Institute. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Wow, guys, that was a great conversation. We'll be right back. When we return, it'll be the news roundup and all the things happening in the world of Donald Trump and Ashy Elbow people. Oh, uh, well, Usher and herpes. No. <laughs> we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, you just missed the Littest of the Lits conversation with Erin Lang from the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. And she was telling us how to get ourselves together and not support transphobic, transphobic behavior or transphobic people or problematic ashy elbow or non ashy elbow people of the world. But now we are shifting gears, guys. Grab your Hennessy and coffee by the links, and we are going to the news roundup where we talk about your favorite news stories, things that made you laugh, things that made you cry, things that made you curse, things that made you flip a table and sip your tea quite slowly. And if you're wondering who I'm here with, I'm here with Jackie Cohen, Evan Gray, and of course, Aaron Lang. I want to start the conversation off with Usher. Two Again? more losses. How many weeks do we Jackie, <laughs> you're, you're, Just calm kidding. down, Jackie. Calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, do you continue. guys like fire? What? This feels you, like a setup. Yeah, this is. This is. <laughs> We're too me. smart for you, Stanley. Like, My elbows are only slightly ashy. Y'all can trust me. So, pretty much, Usher is being sued by two women and a man for giving them herpes. Mm-hmm. And a man? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> that just... <laughs> Okay. That happened this Friday. That, that news came out. Mm-hmm. Oh, so Usher is letting it burn all over the place, allegedly. Oh no! Yes, guys. What, what are our thoughts on this? <sighs> I think everything I have to say is that last week. I do anything I, and everything you want to have your generals going woo woo. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's dangerous. Um, I think it it's is. very dangerous for us to, you know. Highlight anybody's, uh, you know, STI yeah. status. Um, and I think it's dangerous for us to make light of it or to even make, you know, fun of it. Because all of us have, well, I won't speak for everybody. I would say most of us are engaged sexually, I would say. Most of us have done things that we may look back at and like smack ourselves for. Um, and STIs are common. You know, everybody has some form of herpes, um, whether you like it or not. And it's just it just creates an atmosphere of stigma yeah. um, that people who are not rich R&B singers are going to feel the brunt of. So I just think it's a dangerous the way the conversation has been being had has just felt very insensitive one um to usher and the people involved um but also just to anybody who's had a sexual encounter and may or may not have had to you know make a stop at the local clinic yeah also interesting enough uh, i did read that his wife is he's married yeah mm-hmm. he's ma- he remarried i don't remember her he name but um she i did read that she is sticking by him mm-hmm. throughout this whole situation um it sounds as though is that she really doesn't believe the person who the the woman who came out first mm-hmm. and said that she received herpes got herpes from him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I don't know. I just feel like it's n- not really that big of a deal in my opinion. Right. It's not. That's I guess that's why <laughs> I didn't know that there was a man who who then came out. You know, a second person yeah. came out, yeah. but. Also, like, how can you prove it's from him when, like, it's so prevalent? Right. That was my question. I mean, I, that's how I kind of feel about it. Like, okay, 
it's right. Like we're over stigmatizing right. this STI right. that most people have at least come into contact with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like how can you even prove that that's, you know, would that be the case if he wasn't so famous? Would people be like targeting him specifically? And I think that um, to Aaron's point before, mm-hmm. like who's going to receive the brunt of this kind of conversation? Exactly. It's not going to be like rich, successful usher. It's going to be people who, you know, don't have the sort of protections that he has. Exactly. That's just true. All right, guys. What else is going on in the world? Um, Fox News. Speaking of like mediocre, cancel it. <laughs> cancel. I don't Fox even News. know what happened. But <laughs> cancel it. Yes. <laughs> um, so another Fox News reporter um, was um, called out for sexual harassment and shocking. shocking. Eric Balling, a prominent Fox News host, was allegedly sending unsolicited photos of his nether regions um <laughs> to co-workers of his several what? years ago is this a surprise yes or no wait no. what what is with white people and sending a penis out to people from <laughs> well i guess that's a man thing i was about to say i don't know if that's a white <laughs> thing. it seems like that everyone seems is doing just that be. just yeah, the right. in penis pics like yeah i mean penis, do we, but, so do we think because obviously like fox news has been especially with bill o'reilly and roger mm-hmm. ailes like from the top down fox news has been sort of like culprit number one for this kind of behavior in the workplace mm-hmm. but do we think Fox News specifically is like the one is the perpetrator here mm. of like sexual um, harassment in the workplace? Yeah, I think anything, you know, negative that's tied to Fox News <laughs> should be <laughs> highlighted and attributed to the network at mm. large. Um, any chance we get, especially because it seems like it's just happening so frequently. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I. It's because it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, okay, maybe I just need to turn the channel. Right. I mean, I think that it's really interesting that it's Fox News. I mean, it's not interesting. It makes sense to me. But, right. like, when you think about the sort of correlation between, yeah. like, what the, right. you know, like, the type of, like, respect towards women that they may or may not advocate for and then what they put into practice. Women. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, it's really... It's like it's not funny, right? Because like don't want women to be sexually harassed in the workplace, mm. but it's just like, yeah, okay, sure. Of course. Right. And let's not like Fox is trash and everyone there is trash, except mm-hmm. for Ebony because that's our friend. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody that we don't know there. Is yeah. Even I if don't I know, know you trash. You gonna sip that cranberry juice after that? <laughs> but sexual harassment is not just a Fox News thing. Mm-mm. Fox News is trash and I think we're spotlighting that and that's awesome, but it's a problem everywhere. Mm -hmm. I worked in a place where, you know, a couple of people had to get put together because of that. Yeah, I think that that's like a really important um, thing to call out that, you know, we it's like eye rolling and sort of like we sigh and say, of course, it's Fox News where Mm -hmm. this is happening. But we shouldn't be, you know, like especially people on the left shouldn't just assume that it only happens in like conservative workspaces and on conservative networks. Like obviously sexual harassment in the workplace happens everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's important to call it out. And, you know, as folks on the left, we don't want to, um, you know, we don't want to like rest on our laurels and be like, oh, well, we're too good for that. (laughs) Like that can't happen on our side of the fence because it absolutely can. Right. Like patriarchy is real in it. Where men are in power, um, there is likely an abuse of sexuality to some extent. Agreed. We need to shift the conversation around sexual harassment and sexual assault and just sexuality in general, Mm -hmm. because one of the things that like now that I'm trying to be like a human being mm-hmm. and not like not not like not being so centered in my, my quote unquote manness and quote unquote mm-hmm. manliness is this is a culture of 
dehumanizing people mm-hmm. that we're sexually attracted to, particularly to women. Mm-hmm. And even with my own friends, my, my private brothers, well, we have a group chat, and they're just like posting pictures of women and submit pictures that these people sent them. Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. And then talking about discussing women and always in these sexual spaces, never looking at anything else. And then you take that kind of attitude and that ideology mm-hmm. to your place of work, and you're there with other men who are in power, and you're having these, you're bonding around sexualizing other people or mm-hmm. wanting to have sex with other people. I'm not right. surprised that we, this sexual, sexual harassment happens. And instead of like training it like, don't do this because you can get fired. The trainings and the conversations need to be shifted to you are trash by doing this. Mm. This is an institution of trashness and garbageness and violence, and you should be ashamed to be doing this. Mm-hmm. Right. And well, I don't think we're having that conversation. Yeah, yet. I mean, I think it's important to talk about, and we touched on it in the last segment, that, you know, it's not, we're not at this point where it's like, oh, we just need to educate people, mm-hmm. and then they'll learn the, you know, yeah. wrongdoings of their ways, and they'll they'll oh, get their acts together. Right? Oh, oops, like, my bad, I didn't know. I mean, we're past that point it's 2017 like we Mm. know what's right and what's wrong but i think that it's up to each of us individually like we are Mm. all members of our own communities with our own problems and we hear things and you know what do we call out and what don't we call out right like if i'm like out with my friends and somebody says something problematic do i just let it go or do i address it and if like my friends are really centering you know conversation about something problematic do i Mm. say actually that's offensive even if there's nobody you know, mm. in the room that's quote unquote there, like the target, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it important matter. to, yeah, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, Integrity. yeah. And it's, mm-hmm. I think when you're with your friends and with your peers, like it can be hard to be the one that's like, actually, that's problematic and here's why. Mm-hmm. But I think that each of us have has a responsibility to do that. That's, that's one true. of the things I've been struggling with, like manning up, quote unquote, and like pressing my friends when they say things problematic. Mm-hmm. The other day I was, I was hanging out with Frat Brother. A couple of them, and then one of them was like, "Oh, this girl, you know, she." Well, he said, "Yo, this female, she did such and such, and I want to slap the ish out of her." And I was like, "Whoa, why? Like, why would you use that kind of language?" First, Are you but why you calling her female? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and I was like, first, why you calling her female, and secondly, why are you even like, why are you even like talking about violence against her?" He goes, "No, I would never hit a female, but you know what I mean." Like, no, like, <laughs> no, I don't know what you mean. Yeah, like, right. I just <laughs> talk about it in great detail. It right. took a mm-hmm. lot. Like, I, it really, like, I felt like ex- like exhausted and like so petrified just to have the conversation with someone mm-hmm. who's supposed to be a friend, and mm-hmm. you know, but like that's that's hard. But that's important though, too, because t- I think we all piggybacking what uh, Jackie was saying. Uh, I think that we all have a responsibility to challenge those conversations, especially when people are are outright. Like, if you get that feeling inside, like, wait, I think what this person just said was offensive Mm. or if I feel kind of funny. When you get that feeling, I feel like you should definitely address it because you have that responsibility to do that. And I feel like, Stanley, if more people did what you what you trying to do right exactly um i feel like we would definitely be in a better place when it comes to these topics um but we do have a responsibility to challenge that i mean you're much more you're going to be more receptive to Mm -hmm. like feedback about something that you said from somebody who's clearly your friend right Mm -hmm. from somebody who clearly has your back you're not going to like if anything you're going to run in the opposite direction if it's from a stranger that you don't know who's telling Mm -hmm. you like oh you know you just said this thing and i don't know you and you're wrong you're going to like hold on to like what you said even harder right? right but if it's your like close friend who's like I, you know, I have love for you and I have Mm. respect for you and like what you said was wrong and here's why. I think that in general, you're going to be more open to listening to them. Even if you don't, you know, you might like put up a 
a shield initially, mm-hmm. but you're going to be much more receptive. Like I'm going to be much more receptive to hearing something that Stanley has to say. That's like a criticism of me than like a complete stranger that I've ever met. Before. Right. Jackie, you mess up the MCA. You need to fix it. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> um, I also, you know, I think a, the, a great important piece like from Stanley was the self-interrogation that has to happen Mm -hmm. Um, because oftentimes it does turn into this like well I you know I do the right thing that's Mm -hmm. why I'm able to see that you're doing the wrong thing when it's really like each one of us is able to be trashed Um, all of us have the same you know the same opportunities to be trashed and a lot of times we take them um, even when we have (laughs) even even when we have information that would suggest we you know move another way so I think as long as we're constantly in conversation with ourselves as well mm-hmm. um it helps how we shift and navigate the spaces that we all enter into all right guys with that being said the news roundup is over and we're going on a quick break when we come back donald trump is protecting the whites from black affirmative action <laughs> that's right black air <laughs> Beyonce says alcohol. Now Bob wants some alcohol. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. This is Stanley Fritz. I'm in the studio with Jackie Cohen, Evan Gray, and Aaron Lang. And if you are wondering where Selena Hill is, she is quote-unquote working in Barbados with Rihanna. Work, 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 working. And Alyssa is away for the weekend, but she will be back soon once she returns from this wedding with the open bar. I'm jealous, Alyssa. And we just finished the news roundup where we talked about Usher's new problem we also talked about what else did we talk about guys sexual harassment like sexual privilege harassment. and mm-hmm. male a, violence yeah male, male violence, violence. Yes. Mm-hmm. but now we are talking about donald trump and how he's trying to save white people from yeah, black speaking people of which yeah we're gonna launch into a discussion about donald trump all right so donald trump's justice department led by jeff sessions um it was um, disclosed this week by the New York Times um, through, I think, a leak document, essentially, um, that the Department of Justice is launching an investigation about how affirmative action may be discriminatory towards certain groups of people, a.k.a. white people and actually Asian Americans as well, um, due to a case uh, um a complaint launched by a group of Asian American students against Harvard University um, to their admissions process, claiming that they uphold quotas and that very, very, very qualified Asian American students can't um, are not being accepted into Harvard based on race-based quotas. Um, so affirmative action was put into place in the first place to create a sense of equity across, um, you know, in the workplace, in um, admissions processes, in college. Um, and provide opportunities to historically disenfranchised groups, particularly women and people of color. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to just launch right into this conversation. Um, so Evan and Stanley, you both went to college together. You went to SUNY Old Westbury mm-hmm. together. Um, so as two men of color living in America, you know, can you tell me about your free ride that affirmative action offered you and just th- all the privilege that came with, uh, you know, just being a black 
person. Well, you get a bucket of fried chicken, and then they also give you ten thousand dollars fantasy for Mm -hmm. the first semester of college. Um, (laughs) Get that refund. What school was that? Then once. (laughs) (laughs) Aries over here taking notes, like hold on. No, but um, yeah, no, I actually so. I I wasn't like the top eleven percent of my graduating high school class, and I made the the dumb choice of going to a, like a a CEC Career Education Corporation, one of those private colleges, and I spent two years there, got a four point then transferred to a Westbury, and got in automatically because I had a high GPA. Right. And I have lots. Of and and debt. since then, you've had just like a free ride. I mean, this is one yeah. of the myths of affirmative action that you know black people are being awarded just like all this opportunity through yeah. the college admissions process. So free college, all this privilege, all this opportunity, and you know white people miss out. So yeah. like that. So you were admitted into school. You had a free ride. The rest was great, right? Yeah. Yeah. And oh, fun fact: I still don't have my degree because I owe the college money. So every once in a while, a former professor or admin will message me on LinkedIn and say, when are you coming back to Old Westbury? And wow. I'll have to tell them I owe this amount of money so I cannot go back to Old Westbury. Wow. What about you, Evan? Uh, for me, well, going uh, attending SUNY College at Old Westbury was a great experience. Um, I grew up in Long Island um, in Huntington, Long Island. Wow, yeah, yeah, Yes. And I went to um, Elwood John H. Glenn uh, High School which was predominantly white. It wasn't um, that many blacks in that school. Um, Being in that setting and being in that surrounding, um, when I had the opportunity to go to college and and attend O. Westbury, the um, residential life campus was very different from uh, commuters. So for instance, like the the population, like if you lived on campus, you would have thought that it was like a HBCU school because there was so many people of color that lived on campus but then the commuters it was like i mean not really too many uh, people of color who commuted in so i mean it was more right so it was like it kind of felt like it was a little lopsided but then you kind it depends like everyone's experience at old westbury was a bit different whether you were a commuter or a a resident or a resmuter yeah a resmuter Right, we had so many That's of funny. those. <laughs> but they lived in a dorm somehow. Right, exactly. Right, so do we think that affirmative action is a good thing? I mean, or do we think that it's, you know, For a lot of people are saying that it's reverse racism. <laughs> is that real? So is reverse racism real? Like it was, it, it was in place to put everybody <laughs> on the same Aaron plane forward. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, I was just saying that affirmative action was set in place to make make sure everyone was on the same playing field. Right. Make sure that everyone had the same opportunities. So I don't understand exactly what's happening now to the because point where everybody has the same opportunities now. You know, like black <laughs> yeah, or like, white. Why is it an issue now? Cis or trans, man or woman. It's been working. It's just we're all equal and we all have the same access to all the same opportunities. So why do we still need affirmative action? But that's one of my uh, big Biggest concerns, but that's one of my biggest criticism with this administration, this current administration, is that I feel like they are wasting their time in trying to deal with things that are not really an issue. Yes. Okay. So, like for instance, like I would have never thought that this would be a topic of conversation at this point in 2017. 2017. You know what I mean? We are talking about rolling back affirmative action. (laughs) Yeah. Like I don't understand. Can't. 
let's just talk about this for a second, really, because when you talk about affirmative action, the reason that that was implemented was because there was a, a painfully low level of representation right. of people of color in major universities. Right. And most, a lot of that is because that they would not allow black people to attend school. So for years, you have the policy and the thought process of not allowing people of color into your schools to the point that people used to get shot at when they were trying to enter the campus. Mm. And now all of a sudden, it's like, we need to flip representation. So that's why you bring in things like affirmative action. So people who come from these impoverished neighborhoods with crappy schools can ha- can be given a second look and maybe get a bigger opportunity. Since then, representation of black people in predominantly white schools has increased by about 5%. For example, Texas University, where uh, where that big lawsuit happened with uh, Michelle Fisher. Yes. Where a white student sued yeah. the school for not admitting her based on, <laughs> on her white identity <laughs> yes exactly they they have four percent of the students that go there are, are bl- black four mm-hmm. most of these predominantly white institutions the representation of people of color is extremely low and since we've implemented affirmative action as far in, in regards to education um, and other things in the 60s the group that has benefited the most from affirmative action has been white women 53 percent of affirmative action receipts yeah. have been white women Right. That's a great point and something that I wanted to bring up that it's, it, you know, people get really this is a really heated debate that we're having as a country right now because there are people, um, you know, white people who see affirmative action as especially white people from poor you know, working class families that say, okay, I don't see this privilege that everybody says that I have. I don't know what they're talking about. Mm. I, you know, why can't we all just be held to the same standard? And if you get the same grades and you pass the same test, you're all just held to the same standard. So how do we critique that? Like, what do, you know, what do you say to somebody who um, says, you know, I, I didn't grow up with privilege and yet I am not being, you know, given the same sort of like pass, I guess, as somebody who, you know, is being actively recruited. Towards I think that I'm sorry. No, no go ahead. Evan. I was just going to say that I think that white America needs to really come to terms with that racism and prejudice and discrimination still exists in this country. Mm-hmm. And until that happens, you're still going to have people who don't get it. Right. You know what I mean? They just look at it like, oh, I don't understand. Like, why is it such an issue? You well, know can what you mean? give examples of how it still exists in this country? Um, Let's see. Uh, I mean, something I mean, that comes to mind for me is like the Justice Department is actively looking to, you know, do away with or investigate affirmative action. Yet they're doing nothing to end police brutality across right. the country, which is literally killing people right. of color. Or most recently, um, the NAACP just put out a travel advisory in the state of Missouri. Yep. Like, Which, what? Damn, <laughs> 2017? Yeah, right. We're right. really still talking about... Have they ever put out no. a travel no. advisory before? How about, amazing. I how, mean, How about in New York City where white families in Park Slope got into a huge brawl, not like a physical brawl, but like a political brawl over integrating black kids into their schools. And they didn't want these black and Latin kids in their schools in New York City because they were going to lower the grades of their kids. They were going to be violent. They were going to be stealing, coming to school with lice and fleas on them. In New York City, we're having huge fights about integrating our schools because New York City has some of the most segregated schools in the country. Absolutely. It's the third most segregated school like school system mm-hmm. in the U.S. I think it's the second. Oh, second. Pardon me. Yeah. Right behind Chicago, I think. Or maybe you're right. Long Island is bad medium. as well. How yeah. about... Our current president and his administration uh, are full of white supremacists. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah how about that? Right. How about a white supremacist was voted into office? Mm-hmm. Um, to the highest office. A white office. supremacist reality show 
guru yeah. um, was voted into office. <laughs> right. The I feel like they're trying apprentice. to fatigue everyone yeah. um, with what they focus on publicly. I think they want us to really explore these little, these petty almost things that they're trying to shift or take down. Um, so by the time that they really push forward their whole white supremacist agenda, um, we're going to be too tired to even realize what's going on. <laughs> um, yeah. Just yeah. launching all kinds of stuff at us. So, Stanley, I have a question for you. Um, so, you and I both attended SUNY colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, collages. Collages. <laughs> um, you are black. I am white. I am a white man. Have we had the same kind of experiences that prepared us for college? And, you know, did we have the same access to opportunity growing up? I didn't know what a work site was until my freshman year in college. You didn't know what a what? what? A work site was. Mm. I didn't know how to use commas and semicolons or any of those things. And so by a year after I graduated properly, and I'm still learning those things. And I had a great school with great teachers and people who cared about me. But like as far as like the amount of information we were getting, it was not up to par. About the resources that we had to improve, it was not up to par at all. And I've always felt like in college and otherwise, like I'm always two steps behind trying to got to work 10 times harder just to catch up. So yeah. No, we have not. And you think that your race played a part in that and why? So I think my race played a part in that because black and brown communities are historically underfunded when it comes to schools. Black kids are 10 times less likely to have a teacher with certifications. Black kids are two times more likely to be suspended from school for doing something that a white kid would do. Black kids are far times less likely to have updated school materials and to be underfunded drastically. And when you have programs like No Child Left Behind that punishes schools that don't do well, those are usually black and brown schools. They don't add more funding to help them. They strip funding and take away good teachers. Right. And I think that affirmative action and you know seeking diverse representation in an academic setting specifically is so important mm-hmm. to where we want to go as a country and i you know i think that we've gotten away from seeking diversity as being one of the most important things like in our society and we've gotten more i don't know like it's become more polarized those that seek diversity and those that don't i will say i grew up in a town that was to say predominantly white is an understatement it was almost completely white right um and i went to a suny university um which was much more represent representative of the demographics of New York State. So it was the first time I was really in classes with people of color, with um, people that were that looked and, you know, had different religion and different um, upbringing than I did. And most people were from New York State, but New York State is a very, very diverse state. And so I was surrounded, you know, with diversity every single day from people with different backgrounds, income levels, experiences, ethnicities. And that was a great experience, right? As somebody that grew up with access, right, in a white suburb um, of New York City, I was, you know, exposed to people who were different than me really for the first time in my life. And I think that was a critical experience in shaping the way that I view my politics, the way that I like interact in society, because I recognize like, oh, you know, I always thought of myself as like, I've talked about this on the show as like a progressive person who's super tolerant and knows everything, blah, blah, blah. You don't know what you don't know unless you're interacting with people that have completely different experiences than you. You know, there's only so much you can read about online and, you know, self-educate yourself. But at the end of the day, you need to be in spaces that are diverse that challenge you that make you question the things that you know and the way that you feel about things um in order to progress as a person and thus as a society i agree yeah i definitely agree with, with, with your whole point i think that college for me was um was a big melting pot it was a great representation of what 
this country um, looks like. You know what I mean? When it when it comes to different nationalities, different race. And I, I'm very happy that I had that experience to go to college to experience that. Because, you know, like I said earlier, you know, I went to a, a high school or school district that was predominantly white. And, um, you know, a lot of times growing up, you know, I did struggle with that identity, you know, trying to figure out, okay, I know my skin is a little bit darker than one of my best friends, but does that make us different? Are we the same? Are we equal? Like, you know, growing up, you know, you have these questions and you have these thoughts in your head. And um, attending Old Westbury definitely gave me a better experience to better identify myself. Right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, speaking to that, like, what do you think your experience would have been if you attended a predominantly white um, college? I think I would still have an identity crisis, probably, yeah. you know, um, I, I don't think that I will be as well cultured um, if I would have went to a predominantly white college as well. Um, I think that shaking it up a bit and being able to be around diver, uh, a you know, uh, like I said, a melting pot of different people. Diverse population. Diverse population, exactly. Um, Definitely helped me um, into becoming the person that I am today. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think that one of the big myths of affirmative action that we are should be seeking to dispel is that you know it allows for people of color, black, Latino people to um, just like you know, have this experience, this free ride, just based on race and race alone. And that's just simply not true. I mean, we talk about schools like Harvard University, which is one of the biggest schools up um, for discussion right now, um, who are being accused of holding racial quotas. Um, So I think one of the biggest myths is that, oh, they're just willing to accept anybody based on race um, and ethnicity and not on academic performance and not based on all these things. And what we're seeing is that, you know, they accept a very, very small population of students each year, all of whom are immensely qualified, as qualified as each other. Right. So how do you pick from this, po- you know, this pool of applicants that all have the same perfect grades, the same perfect SAT scores, the same number of curriculum, um, extracurricular activities. How do you choose, right? Do you choose the people that historically have been allowed into the system who have a lot of money and a lot of privilege? Or do you allow for access to opportunity for people that have been historically disenfranchised? Mm. You've got to come up with a process, right? Well, yeah, we do. process <laughs> is apparently racist. I don't know, man. I always fall to the same conclusion that when you were talking about these topics, this issue is hard. Mm. And it's a lot harder when you have people who are aggressively anti you. Right. So, like, before you can even have a conversation about that, you got to deal with the, the people who are anti anti. Right. But, you know, guys, we got to go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. And I'll try to come up with a better answer because, you know, Stanley the man has all the answers. <laughs> We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Jackie Cohen, Evan Gray, and of course, Aaron Lang. And we are talking about affirmative action and the white man's fight to protect the white man from black people entering their schools. Jackie? (laughs) Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a really tough conversation, right? Because we're like dispelling, we're working to dispel myths that white people have about like access to opportunity that like I think that we in this room know are just complete myths, but are easily told and told time again. And time again, um, specifically in Fox News, which we <laughs> shouted out in our news roundup. Um, so we were talking a little bit off air about like, you know, this idea of 
um, you know, giving people of color a free ride in college, which is a myth. Right. Um, And I think a lot of that has to do with white people being like, oh, well, like, why should you have the, you know, like uh, not seeing, you know, it's like when you have that friend that's like, oh, I don't see color. Like, I don't see color. And like they're expecting like that's so offensive. Why is that offensive? So it's offensive because a you do see color and people in this in this country in this world are conditioned to have different reactions towards black people and people of color than they would a white person because of all the negative stereotypes and stigmatisms. So when you say you don't see color, what you're telling me is that you're not trying to acknowledge or process the differences in your behavior and how you could actually be doing damage to people you know, care about, or don't even know. That's true. Yeah. So I'm I'm not I'm not with that nonsense at all. Take right. that somewhere else. I think it completely puts aside a person's experience, like. Just because you, quote unquote, don't see color, which A, isn't true. Like Mm -hmm. B, this person who may be a person of color has had a set of life experiences that are probably based on other people seeing color and, you know, really responding to that. I agree. I think that um, I think, again, like I said earlier, I think that people white America really needs to come to terms that racism and discrimination still exists. I think that um, we need to also discuss why um, white America feels so afraid or um, I guess, yeah, afraid to uh, include diversity. Like what what is so wrong about diversity? What, what is what are you afraid of? Because nowadays, I mean, a lot of Americans nowadays are mixed like there's no such thing as just necessarily one race anymore you know there's so many people that are um have so many different cultures that are that are mixed within themselves so it's just it it doesn't make sense to even to not be diverse or to welcome diversity right i think that's an interesting point like what is so like what do people fear about having a more diverse um college experience or a more diverse workplace like what is so scary for people about that it's different it's different a lot of people you know a lot of people they're not they like the idea of it so for example i love the idea of going hiking and then I think about rattlesnakes in the Adirondacks, and I think about coyotes and wolves, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not interested. People like the idea of, like, Obama babies, as I, like, as I like to call them, and they like the idea of sexualizing people of other races, but then in practice, they can't get past their own nonsense of it because right. of all their, like, just ignorant thoughts, ideas, and feelings about people of color or just anyone that's different from them. Right. I think that there's a lot of fear tied into, you know, thinking, oh, I'm going to have to change my way of life and the mm-hmm. way that I do things, and, you know, my jokes might not be funny, to another group of people so I'm going to be called out for like my own BS and I can't continue to live life the way that I want I'm going to have to cede some of my power to uh, what was that like like did you feel that that Absolutely. was like detrimental to your academic experience I didn't feel like it was detrimental I didn't think about it that way at the time the way I thought about it was like I got to show out so these white people know mm. what it is and I they used to call me Kobe in one of my classes because didn't matter what the question was. I was raising my hand. I was answering it. I usually had the, the right answer. Meanwhile, these like these white kids are sitting back, like look at Kobe. He's taking all the shots. Wow. And a professor would be like, "Hey, like fall back today. Let's see what happens." And I would. Then they wouldn't do anything. There was one class, a writing class, that all the people in the class had to take because they wanted to be teachers. I was the only person who didn't need the class for that. I just wanted to become a better writer. And they would make you write essays like in the classroom, and then the teacher would grade them and come back. So I was consistently getting. A's and B's, everyone else was failing it. The students went and signed a petition to have the teacher fired from the class. And then I remember they were asking me to sign a petition, and I didn't want to. They was like, come on, Celia, what if your homeboys was in this classroom? 
Wow. Wow. <laughs> like that, like, and I was like, if my homeboy was in this classroom. I can't. Well, first of all, like, he would slap you for saying that. <laughs> exactly. And secondly, right. like, he'd be getting A's and B's like me. You guys want to be teachers to, to in schools that I come from, and you can't pass this basic grammar class. Right. I um, I was reading, um, I don't know if you are familiar with Phoebe Robinson, the comedian who's one yeah. of the two dope queens. Um, she's great, and she wrote this book, and she was talking about being in a classroom space where she was the only uh, woman of color in the room and they were in a creative writing uh, course and they were like doing peer reviews of each other's writing and a white student in the class wrote a story about um, a slave who had the opportunity to be freed but fell in love with her slave owner and so chose to stay enslaved and what? it was in a room full of white people and she was the only person to say something and everyone was like, well, it's fiction, it's art. Like, how can you critique it? And she was like, that's offensive and nobody here understands, like I do, why that is like so offensive. It would be like, you know, for me as a Jew, it'd be like if somebody wrote a story about like, a Jew falling in love with like a Nazi and like choosing to go with them instead of like fleeing Nazi Germany. Like mm -hmm. I can't imagine. And, and I would be the only Jew in the room hearing the story from like a non-Jew, right? Like yeah. that would be so offensive. Right. And you know, so she talked a lot about that experience of being the only person in the room to understand that that was messed up and, you know, not having peers around her to like help call her, you know, this other student out. Yeah. I have another story for you, which is just as troubling. I have a friend who, when she was in school, a student called her called her the N-word. So, you know, like, they brought him into the school's principal's office and explained why I was bad. And to solve the problem, the next day in school, they called an assembly and had her explain Kwanzaa to everyone. Oh, my God. Was <laughs> she, that helpful? She didn't celebrate Kwanzaa. No. <laughs> right. Oh, right. It's like no. when you don't have diversity in these that spaces, especially in white spaces, you're going to see a lot of white nonsense from people. Right. You're going to see like I think that people ultimately do want to do better, but they're not going to do better when they don't have voices representing these communities in the room right like you can't just like know what you don't know and try to do better mm -hmm. by like adding more ignorance to the solution some people don't want to do better yeah also. that's also true yeah. <laughs> some right. people want you know slave narrative slave romance narrative right right exactly and their creative writing liberal <laughs> arts college classroom i mean people there's a whole subgenre of like romance novels of like dinosaur porn of like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> like people going Aaron gets that, it's right? Just, I yeah. mean, that, that's quality content. <laughs> like, <laughs> listen, listen, beloved, I understand were, that. Okay, <laughs> beloved, it's like called Dino Erotica, and like it's like people go back in time and fall in love with Tyrannosaurus Rexes. And where can you find this on the Googles? Right. <laughs> on the Googles, right? And I mean, I think getting back to Stanley's point earlier is that you know who has benefited predominantly from affirmative action. Mm -hmm. It's been white women right and we talked a lot we've talked a lot on the show about white feminism and what that means it doesn't mean that you are a white person and a feminist it means that you adopt this idea of white feminism that's exclusionary that really centers around white um often straight you know heteronormative women and excludes everybody else and what we've seen is a lot of white women be able to advance in society and leave everybody else behind which is a problem and so you know i think it's important for all of us to call out when we see discrimination especially on a college campus um and you know not just forget about who we're leaving behind in the process even as we gain more power and more acceptance mm -hmm. but like i was listening to an interview somewhere um 
And one of the things they said was that this, what they're doing right now in the Department of Justice is not a new thing. This is pretty much a Republican like playbook. They always do this. Bush, did, Both Bushes did this. Right. Reagan did this. When are we finally going to just start, start calling the Republican Party racist? How um, is this are a we not? Thing? I do it every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't think of a better way to sort of like uphold Trump's policy platform than to, you know, do away with affirmative action in college. Like, can you? Is there uh, anything more, like, true to the Trump platform than this? Yeah. Maybe, like, just putting everything gold and getting peed on, allegedly. Um, I'll, we have a comment on Facebook Live from Flavius, who, <laughs> Flav, who says that he is Googling, yes. currently Googling Dino Erotica. Thank you, Flav, <laughs> for your important work. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Hit us up and let us know what you find. Yeah, right. Yeah. Off air. <laughs> Do not, do not do that. Inquiring minds <laughs> yeah. want to know. Yes, yes, yes. But I mean, I think that getting, you know, like striking education at its mm. core and doing away with diversity in the education um, arena is like one of the key ways to make sure that people of color cannot have access to more opportunity, that they cannot advance, that they keep, you know, with the status quo and, you know, make America white again. Diversity often, um, you know, it sounds much better in conversation than it does in practice. Usually also, I find that diversity initiatives, usually you have this very white space um, that now is like, Hey, we want to kind of reflect reality just a mm -hmm. little bit here. Yeah. Enough. Uh, just enough, mm -hmm. but we're not actually going to shift the culture of the environment. We're really just going to throw all these people into the like boiling water of this space. Um, and I think it takes more than simply having people in a space. I think a space that is informed by people of color, um, a space that has people of color like leading, teaching, like it's not just a you all can't get in the room so now you're losing this opportunity because oftentimes the opportunities aren't even able to be fully, you know, fleshed out or even fully, um, I can't think of the word I'm trying to say, um, but broken down unpacked broken not unpacked like you can't go after what you want to in these spaces still because they're not necessarily safe for right. you just because you're right. able to be there and oftentimes it turns into this space where it's like but we let you sit in here. Yeah, right. right. Like, what are enough? you complaining about? Yeah. Meanwhile, we have many college campuses, you know, especially in the Northeast, that were that have buildings that are named after slave owners, <laughs> and yes. that you know. And how are you supposed to be a person of color on this campus and feel comfortable when you have English class in this yes. building that's named after somebody the, who the joyfully me owns Thomas slaves? Jefferson. Yeah, right. Oh. Right. Me exactly. Me the lynching fun time besides <laughs> buildings. <laughs> right. Like what? What? What's the problem? So what do we need to change to? I mean, is you know, even getting away from just like not dismantling affirmative action programs, like what do we need to change that already exists to make, um, you know, our spaces and college campuses not just more diverse, but more inclusive? Mm. You got to start from the bottom. Honestly, our education system is just so like it's poorly funded, po poorly supported, and it's so imbalanced that you can't really have real equity. And so you address that first. Mm. And then, of course, you can't legislate the mind and the heart, but we have to do a better job at educating people because there are literally white people who think that, like, you can go to college for free if you're black and that we all have Obama <laughs> phones and Mercedes-Benz. Mm. Right. <laughs> I call those people racist. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. What do you think, Evan? I don't give them too much of my time. Um, no, I agree with Stanley. I think that um, I think it's also important for us as um, individuals, as Americans, to get together and to have these conversations and to um, rally up on 
uh, the college campuses because I remember when I was at Old Westbury, I mean, anything that people felt that they were losing out or not getting enough of, I mean, people were would just get together and they'll start protesting. They'll start marching. Shuttle bus oh yes. I remember. And I mean, and, and which is great because now you're starting to see this level of, um, people activism coming back again, right. you know, and it's, and it's, and it's big and it's great. I mean, it's very encouraging to see people, just regular people getting together and to protest and to really, um, you know, go out there, go forth in, in trying to make change and trying to make things happen. White people need to get educated, but all people need to get educated. If all white people just magically said we're out of here and moved to their own planet, <laughs> we'd still have an issue with prejudice because oh people are flawed mm-hmm. and we judge each other on... We oh, we but find something to judge each other. <laughs> right. We find ways to judge each other and we really had to talk about how we can help people to understand that like being trash should not be the option. Being yeah. trash should not be the option. I want that, like, tattooed uh, I'm on tweet my... That. Like, yeah, right, tweet <laughs> that. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think that people are, especially when it comes to college, like, and Stanley touched on this a little bit, but, like, we are underfunding universities, especially public mm. institutions. It's, like, such a rat race to get into college, and people are so desperately trying to figure out ways to afford to even pay for it. Mm. So everybody's looking out at one another and saying, you know, why does this person get to go and not me? Or why can this person afford to do it and not me? I think that a big problem is that people with money, oftentimes rich white people, can afford to go pretty much wherever. And, it, you know, not just Harvard, but, like, any university in the country. Um Whereas people from low-income communities can't, right, and are saddled with debt. I mean, Stanley has talked about his debt that he has taken on, um, which is, like, outrageous, right? Can't afford to pay attention. And so even when you're allowing people into the same university, if you have a student who is rich and a student who is from a low-income family, they're graduating at different like tears, right? You have this one student who has no student loans, who doesn't have to worry about student loan debt or repaying it, can take any job, can co- sort of pursue any opportunity. And then you have another student who is saddled with tremendous debt, who has to primarily focus on paying that back before they can even think about doing anything else, like owning a home or starting a family or doing whatever they want to do with the rest of their lives and are often forced to take jobs that they may not want to take. So it's not even just a matter of allowing you know, everybody into the same um, into the same system, but enabling them to be able to pursue their dreams afterwards. So, um, you know, I think we want to wrap up, but ultimately doing away with affirmative action is so in line with Trump's agenda um, as president. It's not surprising at all. I mean, every single policy platform that he's put forth has in some way or another had to do centered around making America white again, right? His infrastructure plan is to build a great big wall to bar people of color, Mexican people from coming into the country, right? His immigration plan is to keep people from predominantly Muslim countries from entering the country. His national security plan is Blue Lives Matter, right? So his education plan to be make more white people get into college and keep people of color from accessing the same um, opportunities as white people is not a surprise at all. And I think as advocates, as activists, we need to speak out. We need to educate our own communities. We need to dispel many of the myths that surround affirmative action and speak out and, you know, call our representatives and say that we're not okay with the Justice Department, the Injustice Department's plan to investigate this. All right, guys, with that being said, we're going on a quick break. When we come back, it is my rant. It's back. It's back. Ow. Skr, skr. 
Hey, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you are just tuning in, this is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Jackie Cohen, Evan Gray, and Aaron Lang, and we were just talking about affirmative action on U.S. colleges and why the Trump administration will be trying to sue colleges who are letting black people in at the expense of white people because obviously that's such a big problem in this country. And now, as we close this show out, we have one more piece of information to give you. If you have been sleeping under a rock or had too much to drink Friday night where you went to parlay with your friends and they convinced you to drink some moonshine before you had about 17 beers and 20 Hennessy's, then you may not know that Donald Trump is rolling out an, a quote-unquote legal legal immigration plan to reduce quote-unquote legal immigration into the country. They want to reduce the amount of people immigrating to the U.S. by 50%. How would they do that? Well, they have a proposal, and the proposal would create a grading system for new immigrants. And what would it do? Well, if you're looking for a green card or permanent residency or temporary protected status, they would judge you on your medium salary, your advanced degrees, your ability to speak English, and skills needed by the economy. Oh, and also whether you were able to afford health care. Those would be the things that they will grade you on. And pretty much after this process was implemented and it's been endorsed by Donald Trump and all of his racist, small, penis, white supremacist friends. <laughs> allegedly. Yes, yes, allegedly. <laughs> it would pretty much cut down immigration from pretty, a lot of places. Guess where? Mexico, Haiti, Jamaica, parts of Africa. That's where it would cut down immigration and probably be bringing in more white people. Well... During a press conference that happened that was led by Stephen Miller, the white man who also loves white supremacy and Pepe the Frog, they <laughs> said to him, this plan seems like it only wants people from England and France to come into the country because it just doesn't line up with the, with the saying that we have in the Statue of Liberty, bring me your hungry, bring me your poor, bring everybody in here, it's lit, you can come to America. I quote perfect quotes of that, yes, of that poem, that by the is, way. That is exactly right. Yes, and instead of answering that question like somebody who knows how to read and thinks critically, Stephen Miller said, well, that was added onto the Statue of Liberty after the fact, and America does not stand by those values. Those are not our values. Pretty much saying that, no, we don't want anyone who wants to come to the country to feel welcomed. We only want a certain group of people. And this falls in line into what Donald Trump and his coalition of trash white people have been doing since he came to the office. But it doesn't just fall in line with Donald Trump. It also falls in line with the Republican Party, the people who claim that they care about all people, that they are on the side of African Americans, they are on the side of Latino Americans, they are on the side of, of transgender Americans. They, these is coming from the same people that say these things, where they're putting in a piece of legislation that would disenfranchise and block thousands of worthy people who want to come to our country. And I'm telling you this today, not because, you know, you need to know about this bill. It's probably not going to pass. Not because it's going to put you in danger because it will not become a law. It's not going to impact your life. But because the fact that this can be a conversation that we're having in the country today where you can tell me that you can format a law so that it brings in as many white people as possible but blacks out, blocks out people of color, people who are brown, people who speak a different language, people who necessarily don't have the money to get a college education. When you can put a law like this out right now and go on national television and everyone sees this and the only conversation we're having is that some white guy who's going bald and likes white nationalists is arguing with you about cosmopolitan politics, we have a problem. The fact that no one else called this out as patently racist 
we have a problem. The fact that even though Donald Trump is the trashiest of trash presidents, allegedly, <laughs> there are other Republicans who love this bill. And Democrats are too busy pontificating to actually call it out for what it is. So I will tell you, if you are listening, if you know someone who's undocumented, if you are undocumented, if you immigrated to this country, I will tell you right now that this is not America. These white people are crazy. And this is not what we stand for. My father was an immigrant. He came here. He knew how to speak English because of where he came from, the Dutch West Indies. But you know what? He had no degrees. He dropped out of school when he was 10 years old. He worked at a soda factory. He came here for more opportunities. He's not rich, but he's a happy man, and I wouldn't be here without him. My mother, she was from Haiti, didn't speak a drop of English. She came over here with my father for more opportunities. There are millions of people who immigrated to this country for new opportunities, and they didn't fit this proposal over here. And they have added equity, power, love, and progress to our country. Donald Trump's trash Russian-speaking father came here because he, his life was in danger after he had gone against the government. And what did he give us? A racist, sexual harassment, loving guy who possibly enjoys getting peed on as president. <laughs> and no one's complaining outside of this room. So by pushing this plan right here, you are not only going against America, you are going against every single positive value this place could ever claim to have. And as someone who is American, as someone who comes from a family of immigrants, I will tell you right now, we reject this and we reject your small penis, angry, Kool-Aid flavored white trashness every single day. <laughs> Any thoughts, But guys? like, how do you really feel about it, Stanley? I can't. <laughs> no, I haven't thought about it. <laughs> I just, I don't know how you really feel. No, I mean, I think you said it perfectly. Like, this is trash, right? And I think that like, we, you know, we talk about being a nation of immigrants when it is convenient and it's like not even fully true because many people did not come to this country like voluntarily. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, we, we talk about being a nation of immigrants when it's convenient. I mean, I'm from a family that, that immigrated to this country several generations before me. Um, and, you know, it's something that was always instilled in me that, like, we came from nothing. We actually fled re religious persecution and we were able to, you know, not be rich when we got here, but we were able to, like, have pursue this American dream. Um, and seek better opportunities. And so I feel like that is so critical to like what we want America to be. And we really need to strive for that and not put into place more barriers to that. Imagine if we put these laws in and we never got Cardi B. I'd be so pissed. But, guys, we do have to wrap this show up. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in today. Thank you for participating in the conversation, calling in, leaving comments, or asking questions. If you missed it or you have a friend that missed it, don't worry. It'll be available on Podcast Tuesday morning wherever you get your podcast. iTunes Podcast, Stitcher iHeartRadio, Boombox, whatever it's called right now, we got it there. And you can also get it on our website, lyvbh.com. Once again, Aaron, thank you so much for coming in today. Evan, thank you so much for coming thank in today. Thank you both Jackie, so much. Boycott the Breakfast Club. Yes. <laughs> Listen to us instead. Exactly. Boycott sure. the Breakfast Club. And just so you guys know, Alyssa and Selena will be back here next week. I will not. I'll thank be somewhere in upstate goodness. New York marching into my Bye. feet. But you know what? You're awesome. I'm gonna leave you with this wonderful song from the great goddess Cardi B. so much, I know they tired of me. Honestly, don't give up by who in front of me. Drop two mixtapes in six months. We're breaking this.